0: are listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Friday, so this is our hashtag one hero episode. In these episodes, we highlight and celebrate a blog post and contributor from our community and discuss topics surrounding sales, marketing, and customer success. Here we go. Welcome to the Flip My Funnel podcast. Sangram here again, another episode. And this time, I don't think the timing could have been perfect <laughs> around this. So I, uh, this this podcast this was set up like three months ago for us to do. So so I'm interviewing Jen Grant, who's a CMO of Looker. She has been with Box, Oracle, Google, incredible, incredible pedigree, and and knows really what it takes to be a CMS. I I feel like we're going to jump into a ton of great topics. But the big news today is that literally TechCrunch just hit with this article that Looker just raised $103 million as part of their series. E with a $1.6 billion valuation. So wow, what a what a great timing for the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't plan this
1: at all, but it's exciting. It's super exciting. It happened yesterday. Yeah. Thrilled.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that I mean, you definitely have a lot going on, right, as you speak. But as I know with fundraising and stuff like that, it, you know, obviously it is planned and ahead and everybody internally, most people know on the executive team. So when the news really hit, they all have probably gone from the high to like, you know, low to and all that stuff. <laughs>
1: Right. We go from the paperwork and the yeah. and is it gonna happen and are we gonna close and we have to do all of the, you know, the work to prove that we're doing all the right things so the investors feel confident. And then of course it takes forever to finalize all the paperwork and then all yeah. of a sudden it's boom, you know. We were really happy about the Tech Wrench article. That that was that was a big win and, and we all love Tech Wrench, but it's yeah. Drives a lot of traffic to our website, which of course I care a lot about.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we all do. And, and that is, and, and as I share right before, you know, about to interview, I was just looking at your culture video and I mm-hmm. thought that's where we might start first because we all know how important culture is for the growth of any company. It's really the people and then, you know, technology and everything is there, but really the people who build that. So that's important. And in that video, you and your co-founder, CEO, everybody kind of shared that. Could you share something about the culture at Looker versus the culture at Google, Oracle, Box? I feel like, oh my goodness, like you have been at probably the best (laughs) companies in the world. So is there a difference? And if so, what is
1: it? Yeah, there's definitely a difference. And it's also, you know, the different times of the company's life cycle that I was there. So Oracle, I was there. And I will say that the interesting thing about Oracle is that I was out of the Denver office and Oracle is, is well known for an aggressive sales culture. Yeah. The Denver office was super family oriented. We had a number of leaders there that were just really good people and were very, you know, I learned a lot. I was a lot of my training and you know, how to be a consultant, how to work with customers came from there. And to me, what I learned from Oracle is that it goes to show you how much the managers are affecting the culture. So you might say, you know, Oracle, we have aggressive sales reps and, you know, their, their leadership is very much like sell, sell, sell. But if, you know, if you're in an office and you have a manager that has a different way of looking at life, you're going to have a different experience and then if you move to Google, Google was, it was right after the IPO. So it was this wonderful, <laughs> crazy, like they were, I think my first year at Google was 2004 and they launched like 20 plus different products. So it was like, <laughs> Calendar, or talk, this, that, you know, and they bought blogger and, you know, they had all of these different apps that they were buying. And so it was sort of, it was a wonderful example of how, you know, this was I think there was maybe 1,500 people in the U.S. at Google at the time. So, like, that's big. And they still had that innovative feeling of, like, Mm. we've got these ideas. We're going to throw them out there. You know, marketing was a little bit, okay, we just launched a thing. Let's explain why someone will care. You know, we're sort of running behind the innovation of, like, throw it out there and see if it gets taken up. But a wonderful example of holding on to culture as you get that big, because it is hard. And then Box and Looker are actually very similar. And, and what's interesting that you ask about this is that I did the same thing at Box that I did at Looker is we had a, a wonderful culture at Box. And there came a point in time where I said to Aaron Levy, the CEO, yeah. we need to actually write it down. We need to capture it. Because if we don't, You know, you're going to hire a bunch of executives, you're going to be a thousand person company, and nobody will be able to say what it is, like what is truly the culture. And so I led this project along with Aaron to sort of come up with really fanciful, like fun things that felt very much like Box. One of my favorite was get shit done. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite. So, and it was in the culture. It was this person is so GSD. They are so GSD, we need to hire them. Yeah, you know, so we had this wonderful like way and language around the culture. And the same thing happened at Looker. Now Looker's culture is very different because we're in Santa Cruz. So while Box is in the center of the valley and it's go, 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 and you know, Aaron would be at the office at midnight and you know, you might get you might get a slack at the middle of the night saying, Have you thought about the brand campaign? You know, and <laughs> you would try to pretend like you were asleep, like, no, no, no. We'll talk tomorrow. At Looker, Looker's in Santa Cruz, so it has a balance, a more balanced way of looking at. And it's everything from how we think about parental leave, how we think about, you know, vacations. You don't, we don't have a vacation policy. We have a, you take vacation if you need vacation policy. Very similar to what Netflix had done. And one of our values, so I did the same exercise at Looker to say like, we've got to come up with these values. One of our values is time to shred which is everyone needs that time. And, it, and, and of course, it's not always surfing or mountain biking or whatnot. It could be just time to be with your family and to yeah. sort of recharge and get that energy together. And I think that it's interesting because that Santa Cruz vibe doesn't just affect how employees feel and sort of the, the ability to be kind and to, you know, to move the company forward, but not to be so aggressive about it is lovely and it builds all the way into the goals. And it's one of the reasons I joined Looker is I really saw out of our CFO and our CEO, a very measured way of thinking about, okay, we're gonna, you know, here's our revenue targets for the year. And we actually built it based on data. We didn't just say, we're gonna hit, you know, 200 billion and like, let's just hire salespeople until we come up with the quota capacity to get there. And then the marketing team is like, oh my God, we'll never make these numbers. It was more like, what can we do realistically from the data? And then let's stretch. And just like, we're going to stretch in this area. We're going to stretch in that area. And so then you focus the company around where they can actually move things forward and grow a little bit. And I think that is actually one of the things that I think has gotten to where we are is this thoughtful, data-driven, measured way of thinking about how to grow a company It also makes the relation my relationship with the head of sales amazing. (laughs) So we're not constantly like whose fault is it? You know, we're we're sort of like, hey, okay, are you getting what you need? And like, well, I need this. Great, let me go do that for you. And you know, we might fight about stuff, but mostly it's all in. You know, we look at the data and we go, what can I'm going to do this? What are you going to do? And like, let's build the company together. And I think again, it goes back to culture. If you have the culture of, of measured reasonable and yet stretch goals, you end up with a whole lot of motivated people and the momentum comes from that. So anyway, I could talk about culture forever. I'd love it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing is, and I mean, again, I, I took so many notes just on that one point <laughs> It's just because I feel that you said, write it down. And it is so important. Even at Terminus, we as a company went from three co-founders to 200 people in the last yes. three and a half years or so. And we have gone through this idea of what our core values are like three times. Yes. And, and the reason <laughs> is that, well, wait a minute, we did it because we were like only three people and we could just come up with whatever, this consensus, everybody knows exactly what it means. And all of a sudden we had hundred people and they didn't know what those things really meant. So yes. we like, had to get them involved, the first leadership, the second leadership. And sometimes I felt like, is it that we don't know what we're doing or <laughs> Like, you know, that kind of like as a founder, uh, sometimes you go into this weird kind of hole. For right, life. right.
1: Um, Am I, do I have blinders
0: on? Yeah. I, yeah. What's going on? And then you start realizing, as you said, some of the COVID you see get shit done. Like, people keep saying that in the yes. office. In Our office. People keep saying one team, one team. And yes. one team all of a sudden became our culture, and that became our core value even before. We said it's our core value, which always makes me wonder, like, that is probably the best way to define your core value.
1: Yeah. And, you know, in both Box and in Looker's case, it was, and Looker, we're actually a bigger company. I think we're about, we're about 650 people now. And I think we maybe were 250 people, something like that. Mm. And we brought the entire company in the office and every, I tell you, everyone, especially the facilities, people were like, there's no way you can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we can. The whole company in the office. We had breakout groups. I do, a, I do a little presentation where I show some of the cool values that are out there. So, Atlassian has some really cool values where they talk about, well, don't mess with the customer. Um, they have some, you know, and they're playful and fun. And then I point out, you know, do you remember Enron? Well, one of its core values was integrity. Yes. And everyone's like, ha ha ha. Okay, yeah, so that's not real. Yeah. So, we want things that are real. And then we broke off into groups. And, and then we come back and each of the groups would present sort of their top three to five things they came up with. And it becomes this amazing cultural moment where there are people, lots of people saying some of the things that came out were like, this is my family or Looker is like family. And then some of the funny things like, what happens at the looker stays at looker? And we're like, yeah, not that, not that, not that, but getcha, not that.
0: Yeah. I love that, I love that. I, I, I cannot even share some of the core values came out of our team meeting. <laughs> like, so that's exactly not what we should be doing. Exactly. I'm so glad we're talking about this right now. Exactly, uh, yeah. So, so let's transition to, I love your fun fact about yourself. And then we're going to exactly. transition into, CMO's top priorities, but let's start yeah. with fun fact.
1: So here's my fun fact, and it actually, it's a little, it goes a little bit back to Looker's values. So we're growing so fast that I'd say about a year ago, I, I lost my desk <laughs> <In> that <laughs> we had so many people coming in and I was like, oh my gosh, the most important thing to me as a leader is that when someone's first day happens, yeah. that they have a desk. <laughs> That, like, we want you here. Here's your desk. Here's your yeah. computer. Like, you're here and we wanted you here. We didn't just like, wait, did you show up? What, Where'd you come from? <laughs> and so we got to a point where we looked around and we're like, oh my gosh, we have three new people and we only have two free desks. And I was like, all right, I'm out. Like, yeah. no problem. Like, I'm, I'm giving my desk up. And uh, oh, just what was it, uh, two or three weeks ago, we finally, so we're on a, a building and we're, we're in the fourth floor and the third floor. We finally opened the second floor. And so I finally have a desk again. I have a desk now. (laughs) Like, oh, look at my desk. I'm so proud of it.
0: Yeah, that is so funny. So I actually gave up on the idea of desk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because we moved a few times and then I'm like, I'm either traveling or I'm I'm in meetings. Exactly. Exactly my at my desk ever so I I gave up on the yeah. idea of desk and I like who has a desk phone now anymore right like, exactly so I'm, it's not so I'm like, what do I need a desk for so I would just go around the office and sometimes I would just take my laptop if just I don't sit have down
1: date. next to someone
0: yeah good. So I gave up on that idea a long time ago yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it's been a fun journey I invested in a really nice backpack that was my, <laughs> my way of dealing with it
0: that helps All right, so let's talk about top priorities for CML. And uh, before the podcast listeners think that all we are doing is like you know on a martini glass and drinking, now we're actually talking about uh, yeah uh, beyond culture. Is is what are your top priorities? And you have gone from again all these amazing companies where you have probably seen almost every type of like well marketing do that, marketing do this, and I've always wondered like do you. Set your own priorities as a CMO, or do you, your CEO and the board sets your priorities and how what's the balance there? And and with that with that context, what are your top priorities?
1: Yeah. So it's definitely in, I'd say it's working with the CEO, but but it is, you know, he expects me to come up with the big ideas and a big plan. So for sure it's, you know, I'm deeply involved in coming up with something great, hopefully. (laughs) I'd say my number one top priority is, and, you know, we're so big now, my team is about 55 people. And, you know, two years ago, three years ago, we were sort of 20 people, and we were all real close, and we knew what everybody was doing. And, there, you know, there was a little bit of coordination, but not a lot, because we're all just sort of running. Yeah, we're now at the point where getting my team aligned around, okay, what are we, what is everyone doing? And how does it ladder up to the top marketing goals becomes way more important, because then people feel invested in. Maybe I'm just running an email campaign or I'm working on optimization of the homepage, but I understand how that ladders into these bigger goals that are kind of inspiring and, you know, change the world kind of thing. So I think that's one of the big things I'm focused on right now is kind of getting everyone aligned. And Mm -hmm. then the the sort of top priorities that I have, one of the new ones, which I'm really excited about. So Looker is is a SaaS business, so subscription. And that is a fundamentally different kind of business to be in than, you know, we sell a million dollar piece of software, like an Oracle. And we're like, here you go. And yeah. you can pay some consultants, but otherwise you bought the thing. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Um, you have to
0: keep case. it for five years. And, uh, you know, right,
1: that. right. <laughs> exactly. It's not, And so we, we have a situation where over time as a SaaS business grows, a larger percent of our revenue come from customers. And so in the early stages, like, you know, I joined Looker about, three and a half years ago, it's all about net new business. Nobody knows who we are. We've got outbound. We've got, you know, pay-per-click. We've got all the things going on because we've got to make noise. And then over time, you know, now we're at a situation where our upsell and renewals are, are larger than our net new business. And so when I stepped back a couple months ago to say, like, you know, where are we now? What's our next step for Looker that we really need to invest in? It became very clear that we had this huge opportunity to create a spectacular customer experience, and then that would actually be a cheaper way to do branding.
0: (laughs) Yes.
1: That we could, you know, yes, you know, we could do billboards, we could buy an airport, we could do all of the things, and, you know, we may do that in the future, but, having such a spectacular customer experience leads to so much stronger branding because then you've got all these people that are advocates, they're telling their peers, they, they meet with other data people. Maybe we get them together at a dinner and say, you know, just talk amongst yourselves, but they have a lot of good things to say. And that was actually sparked, I should give full credit, that was sparked because we have a wonderful support team at Looker. And this woman, Margaret uh, Rosa, she actually took over the support team, renamed it Department of Customer Love. And they do chat support in the product. And it is like every customer talks about what a great experience it is when like the moment they have an issue or a question, they chat and it's an under 30 second response time. And like that emotional moment of like, oh my God, Looker has my back. They are here for me. And and when you think about a B2B company, these are humans that we're working with, that we're helping. And they've got bosses and they've got people that they're serving. And they've got maybe even people in their company who are like, I can't get my report. I can't get my data. Everything's broken. And so if we can like make it absolutely clear that we are there for you, it's hugely impactful on the brand. And then they start tweeting and You know, we get them to try to, you know, we get them to speak at a meetup or, you know, whatever we can get them to do. So that's a big, big initiative sparked from this wonderful support experience that we've been doing. And so we're putting a lot of energy in that. We're mapping the customer journey. We're thinking about the emotions people go through as they deploy and they have the product for, you know, a year plus and all that. So we've got got a lot of stuff we're working on this year on that. So I'm excited about that. And then I think one of the other things that's very relevant to you is I think in this last year, I had an excellent field organization. And we had a really funny conversation because the woman who runs at Cary Goodrich said, I don't want to be field marketing because everyone just thinks, especially sales reps, just think, oh, you're going to run some events for me. (laughs) Like, she's like, that is not what we're going to do. We are strategic. And so she renamed her team to Territory Development Managers. Yeah. so that we could get the sales team to realize that this is your person who's thinking about the territory. And it's not just events, although I'm sure we will do them, but it's how do we build this region of the country to benefit you, Mr. Sales, Mr. or Mrs. Sales rep. Right. And, and I think that's been a, a nice shift And this last year. There's been some, you know, we've been testing account-based marketing. We've been, right. we've tried a bunch of things. We had a good sense, And in 2019, that for us is the year of operationalizing it. Like it's got to be something that, you know, we've shown the sales rep through various sort of smaller manual kind of initiatives. You know, we had a dinner, we sent some books, we did some planning with individual reps where we talked about like, well, let's get this guy who's the data person at this subsidiary to speak at our user conference so we can take the video and then show the parent company how smart the subsidiary company is, so the parent company will talk to us. Like that kind of like, but it was very manual, individual. And this is the time to turn it and say, okay, now we're we're gonna programatize We have our ops team, you know, putting together all of the track. I mean, it's hard stuff. It feels yeah. like it should be easy, but it never is.
0: No, it's <laughs> never. really
1: blow that up. That's that's our this year.
0: <laughs> that I love that. And I think. You know, of course, you know, any, anybody who talks about ABM, you know, I like, you know, that's my best friend, like, to begin with, right? But I wonder, do you feel that folks on the field marketing team, which is now your ter- Territory Development Managing- Managers, they were already doing ABM of sorts? Yes. Even before we called this thing ABM. That's true. Like, I'm That's I'm true. The- I always like, you know, I, you know, a lot of people say, well, no, you guys, you know, came up with ABM or whatnot. I'm like, no, ABM was actually being done in many different ways in different organizations, either manually as you were kind of looking through or through some technology of sorts and a combination of that. But when you go up scale, like when you go to enterprise and that's where you want to be, and if that's where you want to really penetrate into, I think, I don't know if you have a choice, but yeah, I agree. very focused and targeted.
1: Yes, I totally agree. I mean, years ago, a friend of mine that I worked with told me the story about how he was the product marketing, working with the sales team, and he did all this research on one person, and he mm-hmm. found out that he was some type of sports fan, and, you know, that was really a big fan. He ended up finding, I don't know if it was a baseball sign by the thing, you know, some sort of magical item that he then gave to the sales rep and was like, bring this to him. <laughs> And it of course was like, oh my God, that's yeah. you know something I've always wanted, you know, and, and that was years ago before anyone was talking it about. Still it. it still
0: works. Yeah. Still works. As, as long and, as you're all humans, it still works.
1: Exactly. I will say it's funny because I, I often talk about this analogy. I'd say maybe five years ago, growth hacking was the fad, like growth hacking, growth. And that one actually irritated me because that was this sort of, oh, marketers have never used data before. And it was like, yeah, this is what we do. This is like literally what we do. And it's great that everyone's recognizing it, that this is important, but we don't necessarily need to say like, oh, it's a new thing that, gosh, if only we had, you know, and then you get the CEOs who are like, can we have some growth hacking tomorrow? And you're Isn't like, that's the
0: worst, right? Like, absolutely the worst when your CEO or a board <laughs> yeah, member says, Hey, you should do that. And you're like, You
1: should do that thing. And you're like, oh, oh, thank you. Great idea. But I will say, account based marketing, what's been useful about naming it is that it is so, it requires the sales reps to buy in and to be involved. And by making it like a thing that is like an energy is put towards this strategy. It gets their attention, yeah. and we all know that's hard <laughs> because no. that's that's the piece that, that my field team is working on, is I've got to get these reps to think strategically about their accounts right. so that we can feed in the marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so by saying like, oh, we're this new strategy, account-based marketing, yeah. they start to think, oh, it's a thing that that like I get some of that if I... Right play well with our marketing team. So in the case of of ABM, I think it's actually really helped us as marketers be able to push it and do what we, what we really need to do less one off because we have the sales reps attention.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's it's funny, the way, the first time, the reason I kind of moved on from Salesforce and started Terminus was because there was this moment where, we used to generate about 3,000 or so leads, and there was a moment where the, the sales leader said, hey, that was awesome. And that was our, like, that's how we were measured. So we yeah. hit record, right? Like some sort of record uh, for the year or the quarter or something like that. And they said, can you do 4,000 starting next week or next week? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I, I literally just sat back and said, "Like, do we feel like we have this unlimited universe of people just kind of coming in from different planets and, you know, yeah. we can, yeah. I don't think that's possible. Or right, even, at some point, yeah. there aren't any more people. <laughs> yeah, like, right. you know, we were really pushing people to do some unreal, unnatural things yes. at the moment, right? And what dawned on me, Jen, at that time was that we gave the sales team lead. Yeah. And they actually focused on accounts. Ah, uh, yes. That's why they're called account executives, <laughs> you know, you really like, you start putting two and two together. Oh, wait a minute. That's why they never looked at my leads because they were my leads. They were yeah. not the leads in your accounts that you care about. So yeah. it really became super clear to me that, okay, we're we just not even using the same language here. Yes. And that, you know, just a quick uh, recap. That was, that was just a fun uh, realization for me being in marketing for 10 plus years. is like, Oh my goodness, I'm giving them something that they didn't even want or even. Yes. About it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. so I'm going to, this, this as always, like two pages plus know, <laughs> right? So I'm going to try to come up with the top two or three big ideas that are more than that. And then I would love for Jen you to share a challenge for aspiring CMOs, aspiring leaders. You know, what can they do? Take action. Just one thing that you want to leave everybody with. So the first thing, I love this. If you have a culture, which everybody does, write it down like don't don't <laughs> let it let there be assumptions there are crazy things that can happen and then before you know it will go out of hand and nobody really knows what the culture is that is really hard to pull it down so if you are a growing company today and if culture is not written down and there is no way for people to really figure it out i think it's really a good exercise to write it down chances are there are certain things that already are in your company that people know it's just a matter of getting the right people in the room and figuring out a way to get everybody energized around what you stand for. Once you do that, I think it really can be in your messaging, the way you think, the way your website looks, the way your marketing and sales talks to your customers. Everything can change because not everybody has a common language internal. So I feel like I learned a lot on that point of culture. Write it down. Um, I love this idea of one of your core values uh, as a company is time to shred. And I feel like that is so real. That is so good. So it's an encouraging thing for companies to think about that. Your core value shouldn't be all about how do we get people to work harder or,
1: <laughs> right.
0: you know, revenue growth, right? You know, be accountable for everything, <laughs> right? Or be have high integrity. Like, you know, if you have to put that in your core values, you probably shouldn't hire these people. to be <laughs> <It's> uh, <true. laughs> Right. But it's more of like, you know, reflecting even further. like, what do they, what do you want your employees to feel like so that they can have a good balance and drive real productivity and ideas to move the company forward? So I love that you have, Time to shred. Like that was <laughs> so, so thoughtful. Then the other part you you shared about was this idea that your customer success team was creating this incredible experience for all of your customers, where they literally kept saying that "Wow, Looker has my back." I think that's like a tagline, or that should be something yeah. like big thing. Looker has my back, right? I, I can clearly see that as something. So I think that was how do you tap into those emotional things? And the last thing, and obviously my personal favorite is. 2019 is the year of operationalizing ABM. And I <laughs> think it's just not true for you. I think it's true for almost every company that's really thinking about doing it. It's like, okay, yeah. get it. It's awesome. It makes sense. But I want to do it now and I need to figure out how to do it. So yes. those are my, some of the big, big thoughts. What challenge do you want to leave everybody with?
1: I want to leave everyone with a challenge because I think it's marketing people don't always ask the questions of what does the customer experience Once they buy the product, how do they move through? So we mapped the customer journey. And in order to do it, what we realized is I had to talk to sales engineering, professional services, customer success, and our support team, because the customer was being passed from each of these teams and nobody really knew what the whole flow was. And it was such a simple exercise to do, to just ask what happens next? Do you send an email? How do they know? That they're going to, how do they get introduced to the next person who's going to help them? And then think about how do they feel during that whole process? Because I think at the end of the day, what you find is it's very emotional. And so there are ups and downs. You're like, we deployed. It was great. And then you worry, like, is my boss going to think this was the right thing? And, you know, and then you're up again, like, I got all these users that are using it and they're happy. And then you're like, oh my God, am I going to get enough users? Are they going to continue to be happy? And yeah. so to start thinking about, you know, not just sort of marketing, we kind of like, okay, go sales, bye-bye, you know, like what happens after and how can you take that experience and add value and really expand and, and you know, like, like you always talk about, really understand that this is a person going through an experience and be able to recognize and sort of support them in everything that's going on in, you know, deploying your product. So that would be my challenge is map that customer journey and ask the questions of all your other teams. What's happening?
0: Love it. Love it. Jen, thank you so much for sharing and and having so much fun. I I felt like we were just sitting and having a coffee or (laughs) one of those two things.
1: It was very fun.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.